0: Matthew's uh, Luke's Gospel chapter 22. Uh, we're going to read from verse 31 which is on page 1058. So Luke chapter 22 at verse 31 page 1058. Simon, so this is Jesus speaking. Uh, it's the night before he's crucified. And uh, speaking to one of his disciples, who is known as Simon or Simon Peter, so Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand in me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns." Amen. This is God's Word. We are uh, looking uh, at Jesus praying here. and we find Jesus praying in verse uh, forty two of the chapter in Luke, uh, where it says, "Father, if you 're not willing if you 're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done Father, if you 're willing, take this cup from me yet not my will, but yours be done So this is Jesus praying uh, before God, so again, if you' Visiting today. If you're new to the church, uh, my name's Neil. I'm just visiting as well, and uh, we're going to spend the next uh, 25 minutes or sort of around that, just looking and trying to learn various things from uh, this chapter. Uh, just before Easter, uh, a few weeks before Easter, uh, there was a footballer who made the headlines—not for a terrible sclaff in front of goals, or for a great save, or for an amazing hat trick—but uh, Fabrice Muamba, of course. Uh, hit the headlines because he uh, had a cardiac arrest and collapsed on the football pitch. And uh, I was reading uh, in one of the newspaper accounts somebody who was there at the match. Uh, he plays for Bolton, I think they were playing Spurs. And he was. This person was at the game, and they said they just felt so awful that they could. they they, they wanted to do something to help this man. They felt so distressed watching him, and yet. they felt helpless to to intervene. So they're watching somebody struggle and suffer, and uh, yeah, there's nothing they can do to help. And that is an awful feeling, to uh, stand by and watch another person suffering and feel that there's nothing that you can do to be helpless. And uh, in that sense of helplessness, lots of people uh, at that time started praying so uh, this became a bit of a theme in the media for a few weeks, and uh, there was lots of different footballers who were lifting their shirts, and you would see their t-shirt, Pray for Muamba. And uh, lots and lots of people started uh, praying for Fabrice Muamba uh, The newspapers were telling people uh, to pray for Muamba and uh, even the sun reminded us that God is sovereign, which was, uh, thank you, Rupert Murdoch, you see, so uh, he's not all bad. And it's uh, an amazing thing, isn't it, that when, when there's nowhere else you can go, that you will then think, right, last resort, I'm going to get on my knees and start uh, pleading with God. But uh, for Jesus and for Christians, prayer isn't the, the, the last resort. It's not where we go when we've got no hope left. But it's just the place we go when we want to be near to God, our Father in heaven, and find his presence, his strength, and his friendship. And uh, here, in this passage, Jesus is uh, facing something absolutely uh, unimaginable. He's facing something terrible. And uh, because uh, he's uh, so overwhelmed by what's ahead of him, uh, he gets on his knees to pray. I was reading something this week which uh, said this. It said, prayer is the antidote to anxiety, and thanksgiving is the gateway to acceptance. And uh, Jesus is certainly feeling fearful and anxious. And uh, I was telling the children uh, about Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious, but in everything, uh, go to God with thanksgiving and petition. Make your requests known to him. And uh, that's what Jesus does here. Uh, He's overwhelmed, and in that situation, he goes to his Father in heaven. And uh, as he's pleading with his Father in heaven, uh, I just want to see what really what's going on in the experience of Jesus. And uh, I want to uh, say a few things about what it means for us and for our experience in this life. And uh, what I want to say is that, you know, talking about football and talking about Francis Mwamba, you know, sometimes we just find ourselves very passive. And uh, Christianity is not a passive religion. It's a very active religion. It's an active religion in that God is active, and we'll find that here when we look a bit more closely, we'll find that God's active in coming to us and meeting with us and dealing with our lives and with our problems. So God is active. He's not passive. He's not just standing back watching as we make a mess of our lives. So God's active, and then we see that God expects us to be active in response to Him. So there's a lot of activity, and I hope that comes out as we go through the passage. And now, as we see Jesus praying here, what we see is that an angel comes to strengthen him. So that's the first bit of activity that I'm highlighting. It's in verse 43. Jesus is praying, he's pleading, and we read in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And so, here's Jesus, he's pleading with his Father in heaven, and God isn't passive in the face of that. When Jesus cries out, to god for help god doesn't sit back fold his arms and do nothing and he's not passive but rather he sends an angel from heaven to help him to strengthen him we're told and uh, to uh, enable him to face what's coming this angel is a messenger of god it's an envoy from heaven above in psalm 34 verse 7 we're told that angels have a protective role. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear God and he delivers him. So, this angel comes to Jesus because Jesus is in trouble. Jesus feels at this point very weak and very lonely. And at this point, he's under tremendous pressure. I'll explain more about that in a few minutes. And he feels overwhelmed. And afraid, and he's being faced with great temptation. The cross is right before him now. It's it's, it's kind of overwhelming his, his 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 vision, and he knows that the next few hours, and the next few days, are going to be absolutely brutal, and yet absolutely crucial. So, here's Jesus facing the cross. And as he faces the cross, he feels overwhelmed by the thought of what it's going to bring. And his natural instinct is just to recoil from that. So, I don't know if you've ever been sort of near a a burning building or a really sort of fierce source of heat. But when you feel something like that, you immediately, without thinking, you just take a step back. And as Jesus sees the cross coming before him, everything in him wants to take a step back. He doesn't want to enter the blazing building. He doesn't want to have to face the cross. He recoils naturally from the prospect of pain and suffering. The path that Jesus is going to take is set out for him. He will face injustice. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be unjustly convicted, and then he's going to be sentenced to a terrible execution. He's going to be left alone, abandoned by his disciples, forsaken by his Father in heaven, surrounded by darkness, overwhelmed by death. And so he pleads with his Father. And the Father as he looks into that situation, into the darkness of the night, that he, in love, is moved by the pleas of his Son, by the prayers of his Son. And so he sends help, doesn't forget him, doesn't harden his heart, doesn't turn away. He sends help and strengthens Jesus for what's ahead. So the Father in heaven is a compassionate Father. When we plead, He sends help. He doesn't harden His heart against us. The other thing that this reminds us of, of course, is just how real the humanity of Jesus is. So as Christians, we believe that Jesus is truly God. But we also believe that in the incarnation, He became truly human. When He was born into this world through Mary, He becomes human truly human. So not a kind of fake humanity. Jesus isn't like Superman, who sort of rises above every challenge and feels no pain. He is really one of us. Now, there is a song that was written long ago in the olden days, in the 1980s, uh, called, uh, Joan Osborne wrote it, I think it's called One of Us. And it says, what if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? And yeah, 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 God is great. Yeah, yeah, God is good. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger in the bus trying to make his way home. Well, the Bible message is, of course, Jesus is one of us. He became one of us. He took our human nature and he has retained our human nature. So where do we expect to find God? In church, on a bus? Well, here we find God in a garden, in the darkness of the night, in on his knees in agony. He's taken our humanity. He's entered our world. He's experiencing our suffering. And that means that he gets us. He gets our lives. He gets who we are. He gets it when we are frightened, when we're scared. You know, I can speak to the children about worries, about school or exams or health or family. And I can do that with complete confidence that God will help them with their worries. Why? Because God gets it. He's been here. He knows what it's like. He understands. When we're sad, when we're tempted, when we're lonely, He understands. And He's able to help us. Someone once wrote this, he said, No other religion, whether secularism, Greco-Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism, or Islam, believes that God became breakable, or suffered, or had a body. Eastern religion believes the physical is an illusion. Greco-Romans believe that the physical is bad. Judaism and Islam don't believe that God would do such a thing as live in the flesh. But we know that he did. And we know that because he did, that he has come to us in our weakness and need, in love. He's come to rescue us. So... The angel comes to Jesus to strengthen him because his humanity is real and because he's overwhelmed by the cross. And so God sends him strength. And that tells us this, that Jesus has come to us. That's what we're moving on to look at again, that as we think about whether God is passive or active, then we're being reminded Jesus really is active. He's come to our world. He's entered our situation and he's confronting our problems on our behalf. What's in the prayer itself? Well, he says this, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. So that's the very heart of the prayer. Take the cup from me. What does that mean? Take the cup from me. What's Jesus wanting to be taken away? Why is he in such deep and obvious distress? Well, the cup is his mission, the thing that he's been sent to do. And this mission is something that he's planned and agreed. At the last step, it seems overwhelming. The key to his mission is this. He talks about it just a few verses earlier in verse 37. This is what's going on. It's written, so this is a quote from the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 53. So Jesus takes that prophecy and he applies it to himself and he says this, It is written... He was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So at the cross, this prophecy is coming to a fulfillment. What is the prophecy? The prophecy is that Jesus will be numbered with the transgressors. That's the cup. That's the cup that he's asking, is it possible, Father, that this cup can be taken away? Yet not my will, but your will be done. So the cup of suffering is the cup of being numbered, counted, identified as one of the transgressors. Now, what's a transgressor? I don't uh, talk about transgressions very much in my day-to-day chat and you probably don't talk about transgressors very often either, but a transgressor, well, is a breaker of the law. So somebody who uh, transgresses is somebody who breaks a law. And when we're told about Jesus, we're told this, he poured his life out unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And that's saying this, that he became one of us. Why did Jesus become one of us? He became one of us because we've transgressed. And we have to pay for those transgressions. We've broken God's law, so we have to pay for breaking God's law. And so Jesus becomes one of us so that he can pay for us. He's counted as one of the transgressors, not because he broke God's law, he never did. Not once. Not in the slightest way. But he becomes numbered as one of the transgressors in order to take the blame for others, to take the shame for others. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is, at the cross he's offering his life to God and saying, through my life and through my death, I will pay the price for the transgression and the sins of others. Now, how can I help you understand sin and transgression? Well, one of the ways that the Bible describes it is as idolatry. Now, I don't know if you know what an idolatry is, but an idol is just something you worship. So, in some religions, people have little idols that they put up a statue or something like that, and they offer it bits of rice or flowers or whatever they want to offer to it. And, They worship this little statue made of stone or wood or metal or whatever it is. Uh, Now, you probably don't have an idol like that. You may do, but you may not. Uh, But we have other kinds of idols in our lives, don't we? Uh, I was reading in the newspapers uh, about somebody called the secret footballer. And uh, the secret footballer is a sort of football equivalent of the Stig. So uh, anyway, this guy, he writes uh, every week in one of the weekend papers. And after the Fabrice Muamba thing, when Fabrice Muamba nearly died, this other footballer wrote, he said this, he said, I have spent my life chasing money, material possessions, and recognition, but I've never stopped to ask why. I guess I, it was just something I thought a person should try to do. I've spent my money, my life, chasing money, material possessions, and recognition, but I never stopped to ask why. I guess it was just something I thought a person should try to do. You see, that's his idol. Money, recognition, possessions, those are the things that he worships. And um, in, in the, in, there's a concert hall in Edinburgh. I went to see a band there a few weeks ago called the Civil Wars, and uh, in this concert hall... There's a big sign up in one of the stairwells, and uh, it used to be a church, it's called the Queen's Hall, and uh, the sign says this, it says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God's saying, I'm number one. You can't worship money, you can't worship sex, you can't worship possessions, you can't worship anything apart from me. I am number one. And so, when we worship things, when we love anything before God or more than God, even if it's our families, our friends, if we love anything more than God, it's become our idol. We've broken the law. We've transgressed. We've sinned. We've thrown God off his throne. And we've put something else in his place. That's what it is to transgress. And Jesus says, well, I'll pay for your transgressions. How can Jesus drink this cup when it's so bad? It's because he loves his Father so much. He says, not my will, but your will be done. It's love that takes Jesus to the cross. Love for his Father in heaven, to obey him and please him, and love for us. The Bible tells us he loved us and gave himself for us. The Bible tells us God demonstrated his love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This is a very personal thing that God has done for us. You see, knowing God is not like kind of knowing the guy who stays down the street. That you kind of recognize him a little bit. You might give him a wave now and then, but you don't really know him. Knowing God is like knowing somebody in your family. They're such a part of your life, you can't imagine what life would be like without them. And God wants to be part of your life in that way. He wants to be part of the story of your life. And he's saying, that's why I came. That's why I'm here on my knees looking for help and strength to carry the sin of this world. So there's a very active God. God hasn't just sat back and ignored you. God hasn't just sat back and folded his arms and left you to it. God has come into our world through Jesus. And God has gone to the cross to carry our sin so that we can be forgiven. The last thing I want to say briefly is then that we need to get up and go ourselves. Instead of being passive and just sitting back in life, we need to... Get up and go. And the first way in which we need to get up and go is to get up and go to God. God has come to us, and most of us, instead of getting up to meet Him and greet Him, we've spent our lives kind of traveling in the other direction, trying to get as far away from God as we possibly can. And I want to say to you, whether you're a Christian this morning, or whether you you might not be a Christian, and I want to say it to you, if you're not a Christian too, please get up and go and meet with God. Because God has come to meet with you today in love. And you can turn your back on Him, you can give Him the cold shoulder, or you can say, no God, I want to meet with you as well. And I want to say, it is worth going to meet with God. Because God loves you. Because God is love. And His love, the Bible tells us, is better than life itself. How do we see how great God's love for us is? In the fact that Jesus would die for us. God is love. How can we meet with this God? Because as we know, He's also a holy, pure God. He's offended by our transgressions. And so He sent Jesus... And we need to put our faith in Jesus if we're going to meet with this holy God today. We can't just come to him any old way. We need to come through Jesus Christ. We cannot know the love of God without repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Turning away from our sin and turning back towards God. And so I'm asking you, Go to God, give your heart to God today. Take the cup of love that He holds out to you, and drink from it. Uh, was a, I used to be a minister in Fife, and there was a woman in the church. Uh, whenever her phone went in church, instead of uh, switching it off, she would just grab it, and she'd go, "Hello, it's me." And then she would, who is that? And then she would eventually get up and clamber out the seats and out the church. And God is calling you this morning. You know? And I'm asking you, you know, just pick up the phone and answer and say, here I am, Lord. Yeah, I, I'm not ignoring you anymore go to God. And then the other thing that Jesus wants is that we will not only go to him and find his love and power, but that we will go to the world as well. Jesus said this, he says this, he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. God sent his son Jesus into the world. And in the same way, Jesus sends us into the world. Now, the problem with that is that most Christians are spectators in a world of need. We are standing by watching the world suffer and fall apart and we really don't care. We have become really self-centered and indifferent and callous. We are full of self-love instead of love for God and love for others. When we see the trauma of the world around us, we tend to turn away. And how does that fit With the call of Jesus, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. We're supposed to be involved with the needy, broken, hurting people, and the needy, broken, hurting places of this world. We're supposed to be the first responders, first in the scene, there to help. Uh, I was... In Pilton in Edinburgh this week on Monday night, uh, we're, going to, we're looking. I'm looking with a few guys at planting a church in Pilton, and uh, one of the guys who was with me is a, a friend of mine called Mez, who's a minister in Nidri in Edinburgh, and Mez wants to plant a church or to uh, establish or help strengthen gospel churches in the 50 worst housing schemes in Scotland, which is a great vision. So there we were in Pilton, and I was just drove, driving into Pilton, and I just felt so depressed just look bleak and forgotten and neglected and abandoned. And there are plenty of places like that all around us. Sometimes just a little bit up the street and we never see them. And there are people full of despair. And we've turned our backs on them. And then in our middle class, comfortable situations, we also find lots of lost, broken, lonely, fearful people but we don't want to get involved in the messiness of their lives. We recoil from the cup that Jesus is asking us to take, the cup of service and sacrifice. How can we be ready? Well, what took Jesus from heaven to a dark garden on a hillside in agony in the dead of the night? Love for the Father and love for the world. A heart of compassion. What will take us to a housing scheme in Glasgow? What will take us to a shantytown town in Latin America in the name of Jesus? What will take us to the lost and lonely person up your street? Maybe next door lying drunk in their own urine. There's only one thing that will take you to these people and it's the love of God. So you need to let God's love take hold of your heart and change your life so that instead of standing back that you too will have the heart of God to go after a lost, broken, lonely world. Let's stop. I'm going to pray and then Brian's going to come and take us to the rest of the service yeah? Lord, we want to say thank you to you for your word. We pray that we will hear it and receive it. We pray for those of us who aren't Christians that we will be uh, ready to go to you this morning, that as we pray and sing over the next few minutes, that we will uh, cry out to you, and that we will go to you and ask you for your forgiveness, that we will ask you for your love and for your salvation. And we pray that we will be ready uh, to meet with you in your love, to be changed by your love, and to go and serve in your name and in the power of your love also. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.